Welcome to the Obesity Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Matea Rentia, board certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. Here, we talk about a path to metabolic health, and we have real conversations about chronic weight management and living a full life. Just a reminder, I am a physician, but I'm not your physician. So everything that's on this podcast is for informational purposes, but please go talk to your doctor about what's right for you. There is no medical advice being given on this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today is an interview that I just always love to talk to Janet Whalen. She's a sleep coach. She's also CBTI trained, which is cognitive behavioral therapy insomnia trained. And she just has so much insight into helping people to sleep better. Today is really going to be an episode for you if you want to hear about sort of how insomnia is not just a nighttime problem, it's really a 24-hour problem, and she'll kind of explain more what that means. If you are someone that wants to look into how sleep changes over our lifetime and our sleep trackers, good or bad, we also are going to talk about why is this you know evening routine, this kind of wind down time so important. And we're going to dig into what about the supplement melatonin, right? These are all the questions where you wonder, should I use that or should I not? And again, we're not giving advice here, but sometimes I just like to ask different people what their opinions are, and we just kind of see what the landscape looks like. I think the other really important thing that we dig into is caffeine and alcohol intake and how that affects sleep. And don't be scared. We're not going to have you change everything at once. (laughs) The other really good thing that we dig into here is, is it really helpful when people consider this treat where they sleep in on the weekend? Or is that actually hurting them long term? And then the last thing, just kind of some general tips on getting better sleep. I pretty much don't meet anyone that at some point in their life is not affected by sleep changing in some way. And so usually this is an area where people need a few tips and tricks. Janet, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. For those that are listening, I feel like I have number one, been in your program, but also followed your content for a really long time. Janet has actually been on a previous podcast of mine, and I think that her information is just invaluable. Can you start with just telling our listeners who you are and who do you help? Yeah, thanks for having me, by the way. (laughs) My name is Janet Whalen, and I am a sleep coach. I also say a stress management coach, and we'll get to why (laughs) pretty soon, I think. I've been doing this for... I guess about two and a half years now, I was a business coach before that, but I was also like 40 year insomniac. And when I got a the second of my two coaching certifications, I kind of used those tools to figure out if I could help my sleep with some of the mindset principles that we learned there. And lo and behold, <laughs> I did. And I thought, oh my gosh, could it really be this easy? And did I just invent a whole new coaching, right? (laughs) Of course I didn't, right? This has been studied for decades and like forever. And there is an existing program called CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, that happens to be very similar to the tools that I sort of created for myself and adds a whole bunch of like really great habits. So I got certified in that as well. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a medical doctor. So what I do is mostly life coaching with some of those tools. But yeah, I help midlife women. So I like to say that's anyone over about the age of 35 or so. Typically like high performing women (laughs) because, you know, highly educated women who have big careers seem to be the ones who are drawn to this, (laughs) this work and who have sleeping problems. We can talk more about that too. But that's the that's the gist. I it's funny as you were saying that I'm like hands up that's me yeah. you know the job that the career where I have no boundaries 
having a kid, the sleep that didn't recover after that. And I was like, and then I found you. (laughs) Yes, checked all that. And I do experience that when I talk to either patients or coaching clients, I find that sleep is usually the one thing that they just can't get a handle on. So I'm wondering first, if we can start just because a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is the intersection with weight management. And what relationships do you see if people's sleep quality is not there, what it ends up doing with their weight? Do you see any kind of relationships? Yeah, there's been a lot of study on this, and it's tough to know what is a causal relationship and what's just a correlation, right? Because if we are carrying a lot of weight, we can have less energy and it can be harder to do some of the things that we need to do in order to sleep well, like exercise, etc. So it's not necessarily totally evident whether it's chicken or egg, but one of the key things that comes up for most people, if they're not well-rested and they didn't get good quality sleep is there's two parts of our brain that need to be, that need to have like a significant connection and work together throughout the day in order for us to sort of be in charge of our intentions and be able to go for our goals and do the things that we say we want to do. And that's your prefrontal cortex and your amygdala. And so when you're not well-rested, that connection is weakened. And there's there's been a lot of study on this. I'm not making this up. <laughs> this, this is evidence-based information. And so what happens is you say to yourself the day before, like, I know what my plan is. I know how I want to eat and move my body and, and treat myself. And then I wake up in the morning and I feel overly emotional because I didn't sleep well. My amygdala is in charge and I just can't stick to my plan. In addition, I'm craving things like starchy food, sugary food, things that maybe weren't on my plan. And it all just goes out the window, right? It's just very easy to say, ah, screw it. 100% what you brought up, right? That the, this like overly emotional, not being able to kind of stick to the goals. And it's interesting because I see people turn to a place of shame. Like I'm not strong enough. It's a willpower problem. I always do this one. Really, when I'm talking to them, you probably see the same thing. I'm like, we need to start with sleep. We don't even forget weight loss. It's like your foundations are not intact. You're not getting water. You're not getting sleep. Like that, sometimes you have to back up literally 900 steps. Where do you start with people if they have challenges with sleep? Like what's an easy place where someone can start? Well, (laughs) that's a loaded question. (laughs) I usually start with, and knowing that most people who come to me at the very beginning, they're very frustrated, right? Like some of them are at the point where they're worried they're going to actually die if they, like literally these are their fears, right? They're going to emergency rooms, they're talking to doctors, they're at their wits end and they don't know what to do. The first thing I do is remind them that sleep is not a reason or insomnia is not a reason why people die. (laughs) It's just not. (laughs) There was a study done a long time ago in the 60s of this guy who decided he would try and see how long he could stay awake. And he managed to stay awake for 11 days before they just halted the study because, you know, it's not really very ethical. (laughs) But what they learned was that parts of his brain were kind of going to sleep and waking up and then another part would go to sleep and wake up and his body forced rest forced mental rest at least whether he was whether he thought he was awake or not so i think it's reassuring to know to look at some of the science of sleep and to know that yes we need it for good health that is an absolute fact but we probably overstate 
some of the worries, right? So if we can kind of pull back on the worry at first, and I try to reassure people that this is going to take a little while, we're going to need some patience here, but you're going to be okay in the meantime. A lot of people have been insomniacs for decades who come to me, right? So I'm like, you're still here, (laughs) right? We're good. (laughs) And let's start learning. It's actually a process of unlearning because we have so many inaccurate thoughts about sleep and insomnia. So we unlearn a lot of the old stuff. We learn some new stuff. And and really, that's the beginning of it. We do start other things like tracking your sleep and stuff. The crux of like changing habits comes later. It's really about getting you to a place where you can feel confident that this could work for you. You can relax in the moment. It, this is not urgent. This is not an emergency. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think that's... It totally does because yeah. I think that there's this... It's almost like, and you tell me because you're 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 dealing with this all day long, but it's like the more that people are not sleeping, the worse their thoughts are getting about it. Yes. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're like, I know when I get in bed, I'm not gonna be able to sleep, or they wake up in the middle of the night and they make that mean a lot of things. And so what you're saying is like, well, let's just take the panic level down for a second, and then we can actually start. And, and you know, I see so many similarities between what you're talking about with sleep and what I see with weight management, because it's I this bet. fear of right, like I've gone round and round for decades nothing can ever change. It's like, well, let's do this in a totally different way. And that's kind of what I hear from you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the same issue as like what we were talking about before the overly emotional response, right? Like that is the key. That's if you break insomnia down to like, it's very base. (laughs) It's really just a fear of being awake when you want to be asleep. Yeah. That's really all it is. So, you know, the one thing I forgot to ask you in the beginning, I know that sleep changes over our life, right? I mean, we come as babies, we're sleeping almost 24 seven, and then things change. Can you just briefly describe kind of how our need for sleep changes over our lifetime? Yeah, so I don't know that anyone really knows why this happens for sure, except for, you know, the obvious reasons when you're an infant, and you're growing and learning and expanding at such a fast rate, your body and your brain needs a lot of rest. First of all, like when we're born, we don't even have a circadian rhythm, right? Because we haven't been exposed to light yet. (laughs) So that's why babies sleep is kind of all over the place until, you know, they've lived in the world like we do as humans. But yeah, as children grow and teen sleep is a really big thing right now because we're probably like teens need, it's like you, you're a baby, you need a ton, you're a kid, you still need a lot. But as a teen, you might revert to like needing almost as much as you did when you were in it, like a toddler. And we underestimate that, right? Teens shouldn't be going to school probably as early as they do, but that's a total digression. I don't work with teens. (laughs) Then we enter like our twenties and our thirties. And for some people, sleep isn't that hard at that point. And then they're busy and they're learning and they're, you know, figuring out their adulthood and everything else. Certainly insomnia can be, it was a problem for me. It can be a problem, but a lot of people kind of glorify like, well, I wish I could sleep like I did when I was 22 or whatever, but you probably didn't have a house or a family or all the other things that worry you. Right. So then you get into like your maybe you have kids like you said i after a baby you your sleep habits just come undone because you're at the mercy of their sleep schedule not your own and then you can learn all kinds of really bad perpetuating habits that can turn a couple of bad nights into 50 
right? And then we get into chronic insomnia. And then we get into like our 40s and 50s and perimenopause and hormonal changes and that sort of thing that can wake us up in the middle of the night with hot flashes, you know, with progesterone declining, that sort of relaxation that that hormone can offer us is not necessarily there. And we are probably needing less sleep into our 50s and 60s and 70s as well. So those things are kind of corresponding, right? We're not sleeping as well as we used to. We don't realize that maybe we don't have to be, (laughs) that our sleep need has declined. And it just adds to the frustration. People think that elderly people need more sleep because, you know, we think that, well, we see them napping and that sort of thing, but they might be napping because they're awake half the night. They actually do sleep less. Right. Yeah. And, and no one ever really tells them, you know, your sleep need is just not what it was before. You're, you're not growing new bones and muscle and all the other things that, that you were doing when you were in your teenage years. So it's, it's expected. I mean, I hear it's interesting. I'll hear from patients 65 and over that they still go to bed at the same time, but then they're maybe waking up at four in the morning and they're frustrated by that. Again, it might not even be an insomnia situation because they feel fine during the day, but it's interesting what you're saying, how those needs change. And I know in our house, we have a teenager and we're seeing those sleep, those increased sleep needs. And at first I thought, do we need to get them checked out? (laughs) Am I missing something? Is there like a thyroid hormone problem? No, it's just he's a teenager. Yes. Um, So I think these sleep changes are fascinating. And I know you you threw in a side comment here about tracking sleep, things like that. Can you give your thoughts as far as, I know everyone's very gadget obsessed. What are your thoughts on if people should be using the the watch, the tracker to kind of look at sleep? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's a really big question right now because these devices are getting a little better. There's evidence that they're a little more accurate. And also there's kind of a push in the sleep science world to make these devices more accurate so that people can do sleep studies at home, right? Because having a sleep study in a sleep clinic is super uncomfortable and people maybe don't sleep the way that they would at home and they worry that what's the, what are the results going to be? And then they have a terrible sleep. So we want to try to approximate your normal sleep, which we can't do right now because you need all of the devices that are in the sleep clinic. So I think maybe there's going to be a time when we get there, but right now a lot of them are somewhat inaccurate. Some of them underestimate the amount of sleep you get by like half an hour or more. But the bigger issue is (laughs) this idea that we should be focusing on data and getting obsessed about data that we have no idea what to do with, which is really (laughs) preach. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like that's that's really the key is people start going, oh, well, I only got this many hours of REM sleep and my aura ring said that my sleep wasn't ideal and I should be careful today and I shouldn't push my workout or I shouldn't whatever. Well, like maybe, <laughs> but also do we really need to be focusing on such micro things in our life, right? Like I don't believe in this whole biohacking trend. If we were meant to know all that, like how did we get here as... <laughs> As a species, like we're doing pretty well. At the end of the day, if you are obsessing over your data, if you're competing with other people, like there are online competitions, people get together and they share their tracking data and they they're like obsessed with it. And my thing is I don't want anyone obsessing about their sleep. Obsessing is part of what causes insomnia in the first place. 
First of all, I didn't know that people do that, but I'm not shocked. I think very normal as humans that we compare, right? But that's, I feel like I have the same thoughts about this continuous glucose monitoring community where there's a time and a place for it, 100%. But when you're constantly not using, I don't want to use the term like your own wisdom, but you're never actually listening to yourself and you're always like looking at this device, it makes it really hard to make future decisions. So I, I like that you say that kind of that maybe this device culture isn't really all it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And I love what you said about that because a big part of my work with my clients is helping them reconnect with the symptoms and signs that are in their body and their brain of like drowsiness and wakefulness, right? We are so divorced from all of that by being told a, that we need a bedtime and like, what does bedtime mean? Right. Is it some arbitrary time that you just picked? Is it after you watch the news with your partner? Is it like, is it, what is it? It should be when you're sleepy. <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. Everything you're saying, I'm thinking like with getting, getting in tune with our, hung, with our hunger signals. Okay. So tell me about this, this being divorced from the signals of awake versus I'm going to say sleepy. I forget the exact term you use. How yeah. do you start to get people connected to that? What do you ask them to do? Well, we have, I ask them to not have a bedtime routine, but to have like a wind down hour, Love right? That. Yeah. So, cause if you have a really strict bedtime routine and you're someone like me who is apt to rebel against a routine, <laughs> you're going to probably put all kinds of like restrictive stuff on there and bad habits and things that aren't really going to help your sleep. And then you're going to get to that time and you're not going to want to do it. And you're going to look at your emails or something like that. Right. So it's, we think of, if we think of sleep, like a dimmer switch, not an on off switch, right. Cause that's really what is happening. The sun goes down, our retinas discover, oh, there's not so much light. <laughs> and our, and that signals our body to start creating melatonin a couple hours before we're going to be ready for sleep. All of this is a is sort of a phased situation. It's not, we don't just snap our fingers and fall asleep. So if we can uh, look at that sort of hour before we think we're going to get sleepy, and and again, it could be two out, like you don't know, right? Eventually, you're going to, through the course of my program, you're going to find a schedule that kind of falls out as natural for you and comfortable. But before that, it's like, well, we think our bedtime is going to be X. So an hour before that, I'm going to start winding down. And what I what I suggest to people is that they just pick a whole bunch of ideas for things that they enjoy. So that could be watching TV. Like, don't let anybody tell you you shouldn't watch TV before bed. That's just silly. If it's going to relax you. <laughs> I think so it. many people listening are so grateful because so much we hear, you know, the screens are activating the brain. And I've been guilty of saying this, but sorry, keep going. Cause I'm like, I think a lot of people right now are like, oh my gosh, this is relieving to hear. Yes. It's, there's so much about the blue light <laughs> stuff that. If you are going to use blue light glasses, like go for it. If you think it's going to help, I don't care. But I also think you shouldn't be looking at your device before bed because of the mental like disaster it's creating for you. You're probably reading stressful things. You are involved in a whole bunch of decision making, which you don't even realize. But every single button on every single screen is your brain going do I press that? Do I want to read the article this is suggesting? What if I go here? Well, I remember how to get back here. And oh, I want to buy that. But oh, now I'm worried about my money. Like, <laughs> Right? It's just very stressful. We create a stress response. And we don't even realize that that's what all this constant attachment to our devices is doing to us. So you can do all that, but do it 
keep it away from like an hour or two before you go to bed. Make sure you're only doing things you enjoy, things that you normally don't have time for, let's say, like a hobby that you've wanted to try or talk on the phone to somebody who you love who you never get to connect with. We need to create a habit of taking that hour for ourselves. We're so used to just cramming our whole day into like, and we just slam up against bedtime and think we can just fall in bed and our body is supposed to do what it's told. And that's just not what works. It's really interesting that you bring this up because I noticed with me, one of the sleep problems was I was literally working like charting and doing all these things before until right before bed. And that was the first time in my life where that had become a problem and I needed that wind down and I had to make really strong boundaries. And it was hard for me with this tendency to overwork to say, no, by 7 PM at night, I will not do any more work, period. There is nothing life or death happening at that time. It's all made up in my mind, right? It's habit-based, but it it was challenging for me to realize that. But then what emerged is what you're talking about, where I do love that hour of Netflix. I really do enjoy that. And it's a nice reward. I can relax. I don't have to feel guilty about it. It's really a nice zone to be in. Yeah. One thing that's really common with women who, you know, are what you're describing, hardworking, bringing their work home with them, that kind of thing, or they're just busy with family and other commitments and stuff is that they get to bedtime and they're so frustrated that they didn't have any time to themselves during the day that they steal their time back to themselves. And it's literally, it's called revenge bedtime procrastination. (laughs) We are literally, yes, I did too. Oh, this was so me. That you're so resentful at bedtime that you haven't had time to yourself that you go, this is the only quiet time I have for me. I need to take this time now. But you're literally stealing it from yourself. Yeah. Right. And when you realize that, it's like, oh, (laughs) what if I just made a boundary, like you said, and and I say just, but it's it is challenging, but it's important. That's what I was gonna say. I can I can imagine that this is tough for people to build out because it's it's essentially changing a big way that you're doing things. Because I I do hear this yeah. that well then the laundry needs to get done and this and that and I had those same obligations and things, but I just had to realize. But this has to change. This is the priority. This is the number one, and then I had to build everything else around it. So yeah. do you? I mean, I'm assuming you just kind of slowly work with clients on this that they can kind of figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a real this is the the unlearning part, right? <laughs> Where it's like we are literally deconstructing most of the way that you've lived your life because certain people, busy moms for example, like they might not get any time literally any time for themselves until the evening and Oh, there we get into so much stuff about this. Like we used to put our kids to bed really early because we just said we are unwilling to give up our time <laughs> and the kids need sleep. So they're we're getting in a habit of so there's there's a lot you can do about your kids' sleep too, which is a total digression from what we're talking about. But but seriously, boundaries can exist in all kinds of areas of your life so that you're not forcing your time till like 11 o'clock at night. It's it is really, really important. You know, the other thing that I think about kind of that relates to this is sometimes people, their schedule during the week with sleep is very different than on the weekends. They (laughs) get a treat to sleep in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think you've used a term like sleep jet lag. I just think this is fascinating. So people, when they think they're being rewarded by this, is that actually the best thing for us? No, it's terrible. (laughs) I'll tell you what I really 
So it's, I think it's one of the most harmful things that we do. And I'm just going to put a caveat here that if you are someone who's able to switch your sleep schedule on the weekend and you are just fine and you don't have insomnia and none of this bothers you, keep doing what you're doing. Like, don't try to change something because I said this, I'm talking to people who have insomnia and who are struggling. Okay. That's what I always want to say is it's like, if this doesn't apply to you, close your ears. This is not for you, but this is for, I suspect most people listening actually do have this as a problem. So, so what do you offer to them? It does. So here's the thing. If our circadian rhythm is like a 24 hour cycle, right? We are literally designed this way as are most organisms and species on this planet. The sun comes up and it goes down and our hormones and our body temperature and our sleep are all driven by that 24 hour cycle. We can try to fight that, but we're not going to sleep well (laughs) because all of the the cortisol changes and the melatonin changes and a bunch of other (laughs) hormones, adenosine is one all of them are not going to work in the way that you need them to work and to be able to sleep. So what happens is you maybe you have a consistent sleep schedule from Monday to Friday, because you're going to work, right? And you're expected to be somewhere at a certain time. Then on Saturday, you go, I'm so glad I get to sleep in today. No one's going to wake me up. And society tells us this is a treat. This is the way we reward ourselves for a tough week, right? Is we sleep in. Well, we have two systems, a sleep system and a wakefulness system. Your wakefulness system needs to be in gear for 16 hours a day, which means if you wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning, you're not going to be sleepy till 16 hours from then, (laughs) which is probably one or two in the morning, right? So people do this. And by Sunday, they're in a state because they did the same thing on Sunday because they didn't get to sleep until 1am Saturday, they sleep in again Sunday, and then Sunday night. Now they're worried about their sleep and they're worried about work and things they have to do. And this is why the term Sunday night insomnia came up. So if you think of this, like every hour you sleep in more than you would during your regular week, it's the equivalent of like flying a time zone, right? Amazing. Yeah. That's why we call it like lifestyle jet lag. (laughs) because that's literally what's that's that's physically what's happening to our bodies and if you're someone who's traveled like several time zones you know what that can feel like and you're doing that to yourself every weekend that's just when you say that it makes me think I don't ever again want to do that (laughs) (laughs) when I learned that that was that was one of the keys for me like I don't wake up specifically at exactly the same time every morning but it's within half an hour it never changes. It goes from like seven to seven 30 and I'm awake and it has made the biggest difference for me. Yeah. I used to sleep in every weekend. I've noticed that too, with myself, part of it's been necessity based on who's getting up, but yeah. <laughs> I've noticed I, I like just being real. I feel better getting up at the same time on the weekend compared to yes. during the week. And it's yes. not a sacrifice anymore. It's not like, Oh, I'm up. It's but, and my bedtime I find is much more regimented then. And it makes sense based on what you're saying. Yeah. Cause you're oh. tired too. Right. And the other thing is you don't have to deal with the decision anymore. If you just, if you, once you get a consistent re- bedtime or sleep routine, I, I never think about it. I just know that I go to bed when I'm tired and I wake up between seven and seven thirty. Yeah. Even if I didn't fall asleep till 3am, I get up at seven o'clock. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So let me ask you, because you kind of mentioned some different things that are affected in our body. I know a lot of people take the supplement, at least in the States, take the supplement melatonin. Mm-hmm. And do you have any thoughts on that? 
like when it would be appropriate versus not. I know it's we're not giving medical advice here, but just what you see. Yeah, um, there there have been very few studies that show that it works. It, it can be helpful in a couple of populations, menopausal women and elderly people whose melatonin might be lower. Most people don't need it. Yeah. And it has all kinds of side effects. First of all, people take too much. You should, I'm not a doctor, but this is, I learned this in my certification from a doctor. Three to five milligrams is the max dose. Some people are taking 15 or 20, right? Mm -hmm. There are, you can get headaches, you can get stomach upset, you can feel groggy the next morning. Your body's probably already producing enough. And the other thing to know about it is it's producing it a couple hours before you go to bed not at bedtime. It's not a sleeping pill. It's actually a hormone that's telling your body, okay, we're preparing for our sleep cycle now. And we're going to do all the things internally that are happening, whether you know it or not. <laughs> and it's just a preparation. It's like a circadian rhythm balancer, if you want to call it that, but it's not going to actually put you to sleep. People are, people really understand it kind of wrong. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that I wanted to talk about this because I see everyone just being thrown on it. Like, and I don't think it's ill-intentioned doctors. I think they go no. to the primary care doctor, they're having challenges and they think, well, let's do something that's not a prescription. It's over the counter. And I often think that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. They're not having the time to dig into all the things like you would with someone. And I think it's interesting just to know it's not necessarily helpful all the time. So I think that's, you know, thank you for bringing up those perspectives on that. I think that's going to be really yeah. helpful. The other thing about supplements, and and literally there's not been any supplements proven to help with sleep, but the thing that you really have to understand is none of them are regulated, right? And in studies done on many different supplements for many different reasons, they've shown that like a dose of whatever that it is, and this did happen with melatonin, could have none of the active ingredient or a thousand times as much of the active ingredient as it says in the bottle, right? Yeah. And you have no idea. Yeah. So you don't even really know what you're taking. It's yeah. pretty challenging. Yeah. I know there are different stamps and I can put the name below this podcast episode where you have a greater chance of it being better quality yeah. based on what screenings they're doing, but there, there's not ever any guarantees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one thing I know you've talked about in the past, I think this is fascinating, just like hearing your input on this. I know a lot of people are really distressed if they wake up at night. And this is actually very common that people wake up. Yeah. And what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is one of the biggest complaints I got from my clients because most of them are perimenopausal or menopausal. And it's while it's true that your hormones could be waking you up in the middle of the night and 3 a.m. seems to be the magic time for a lot of people. Um, we don't have to make this as big a problem as we make it. The reason that, so you could wake up having a hot flash and be like super sweaty and then you're cold and clammy and your pajamas are soaked and you're like, oh, like this is so uncomfortable. And oh my God, yes, it is. But instead of lying there frustrated and thinking, why has this happened to me? Here we go again. Now tomorrow's ruined. How am I ever going to get through the day? You could decide the night before, leave a pair of clean pajamas next to your bed. You just get up, you get changed, you come back to bed and you think to yourself, this is, this is my big tip for you. If this is your problem, <laughs> what is actually happening right now? It's 3 a.m. or the middle of the night. Cause I actually don't recommend you look at the clock. It's dark. <laughs> Other people are sleeping and I'm awake. Those are the only four things that are true. 
everything else that your brain is telling you is just drama. It's just like made up worry and it's creating a stress response in your body that's going to make it so you can't fall back asleep. When you break it down in such a way, those are the facts and sticking to that. How powerful. Now you threw, you did a little throwaway here. You said, don't look at the time. Yeah. Don't look at the <laughs> clock. What are your thoughts on that? Because I've heard you say this stuff before. This was, I think, one of the things you said in the past that unlocked everything for me. What are your thoughts on that with like looking at the clock at night? Yeah. So looking at the clock in the night makes you start doing math in your bed. And in my program, math in bed is um, prohibited. <laughs> I don't I don't have a lot of rules, but that's one of them. I literally saw that you said that. And then I, from that time forward, because I would sit there saying it's three o'clock and then I have to get up at six. And then now here you are one more hour. So that means only two hours of sleep. And then I said, I was like, but Janet said, we're not doing math. In bed. <laughs> so I don't check it anymore. It. Even if I go to the bathroom, whatever happens, no checking the clock. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. Because you're, you likely have an alarm set, right? So if your alarm hasn't gone off, it's still nighttime and you can still go back to sleep. Who cares if you only sleep for half an hour? Who cares if it was five 30 or, or three or one, you literally, there is no reason for you to know what time it is in the middle of the night. Yeah. It will only cause you stress. So I don't have a, I used to have a clock radio on my bedside table and I still do have my phone there because my kids don't are, are at university. And if they were to have an emergency, I want to make sure they can get us, but it's not, it's not like the notifications are not on. It's turned face down. It's away from my reach. So I can't see what it's telling me as far as the time goes. Right. And I'm not going to lie. Like it took some time to get used to the idea of like, say you get up to go to the bathroom and you're like, oh, you just intuitively want to know what time it is. And I would just say to myself, who cares? I don't need to know. Like it's not serving me to know. It's only going to make me stressed out. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'm thinking about too, and I, I can't believe I've taken so long to even ask you this. What are your thoughts about caffeine and alcohol playing into sleep? Do you yeah. look at that with people, kind of what they're doing? Yeah. So I don't want anybody thinking they shouldn't like, you know, let's work on one thing at a time. If you want to stop caffeine or alcohol, okay, that's a whole other project. I'm not going to make you do that. Right. I don't force, I don't force a bedtime routine on anyone. I, I don't tell you what time to go to bed or wake up. And I don't tell you to stop drinking alcohol or caffeine. However, <laughs> I do help you understand what the impacts of both of those things are. So caffeine is typically okay in the morning, as long as it's not too much, like, you know, one or two cups of coffee in the morning is not really going to prevent most people from sleeping, but you need to treat your own body as a bit. You need to do this like a bit of an experiment with yourself, right? And decide, well, when I have two cups of coffee, I do have more trouble falling asleep than not. So maybe I'll take it back to one and see what happens. I actually only drink decaf coffee now because I'm pretty sensitive to caffeine and it took me a while to get there, but I'm totally good with it now. We could talk about why, but it's a whole process of caffeine and adenosine. You need adenosine to build up in your body to tell you that you're tired at bedtime. And to make it very simple, adenosine and caffeine both park in the same spot in a cell. <laughs> so if your cells are full parking with caffeine, there's nowhere for the adenosine to attach. And then you it's not helping you, right? So that's why you don't want that. Alcohol is a whole other story. It does get used as a sleep aid because it can make us feel drowsy. The problem is 
it, while it may help you fall asleep, your quality of sleep is going to decline pretty significantly. So you're going to get probably less deep and REM sleep, which is the, the most important two phases of sleep. And so it feels good to people because the part that they're most scared of, which is not falling asleep when they want to, is taken care of. But then they still feel like crap the next day because they just didn't get any quality sleep. Then they start thinking there's something wrong with them. And then the cycle just continues. So so we do look at it. It's part of part of our sleep tracking is to sort of see like, how is this affecting you, right? How What happens when you have alcohol and when you have caffeine? And it's more of a, then when you're armed with the information, you can make the decision for yourself so that you don't feel like you're doing it for me or you're doing, you know, it's a rule that I have to follow. I really like how you broke that down because there are lots of physiologic effects on our body, but at the end of the day, it's what we're on board for doing or not. And I find this is not, and you tell me, I don't know if there's some article that I'm unaware of, but I find that people just become more sensitive to caffeine as they get older. And I don't know if that's, if there's proof for that or not, but I just, I hear it having more problems. So I don't know if it's a metabolism problem with the half-life or what's happening, but yeah, that's interesting. I, well, so just as you say that, so I don't know, but it's, if I was to speculate just this total speculation, but as we get older are like sort of the your body temperature kind of drops off a cliff at a certain time and that signals your body that it's time for sleep. Right. But that turns into like a low hill for especially a lot of women. And it also happens earlier in the evening. So it may be that like having caffeine at the normal, the time that you used to be able to tolerate it, isn't going to work for you because you're getting tired earlier. I don't know, but if, if that's happening, that wouldn't be surprising. I like, you know, what I like with when science meets with kind of mindset and things like that, it's ultimately things are going to change over our lifetime. And the more we can get connected and kind of see how things are for us right now, not 10 years ago, it looked this way. No, right now, how's your life looking? And I think that's a much more empowered place usually for people. Yeah. And this is something that you and I haven't talked about, but a, a key piece of my program now is mindfulness meditation. I'm certifying as a mindfulness meditation teacher at the moment, because being in the now, like learning how to be and not do all the time is super important. And so just what you mentioned about, well, I'm always comparing myself to 10, 15 years ago, doesn't matter. We need to learn how to just be here now and not judge everything that we've done and not judge or worry about things that are going to happen in the future. But if we can focus on now and focus on what's comforting and feels good to us now, then we can figure out how we want to go forward. I think that these things are so critical. And I know you had shared that with me because I think this also goes all the way down to, for example, like body image. If Mm. you're sitting there and wanting those things from the past, it's not reality of where you're at at the moment. And and that's a very hurtful experience. And I don't know if that's the wrong right word to use, but I think it has has so many ramifications and kind of coming to the end of our talk here, because I know I want to respect your time. What do you think if someone knows, you know, sleep really isn't ideal for me now, now forget if they have a clinical diagnosis or not. What are some easy tips that you would give them as a starting place for how they could start to work on this? Yeah, that's such a good question. We've talked about one of them already, which is have a consistent wake up time seven days a week. That one I think is the most underestimated and the most important. And like I said at the time, when I say that I'm talking about like within a half hour or so, right? You don't need to be regimented. You don't need to, but just recognizing the truth of what happens when you vary it for like an hour or more 
a day. That one's really important. Let's see. Another one is to only go to bed when you're tired. <laughs> that one, like, this is key because we need to, and so well, I should put a caveat on that one too, because at the beginning of my program, you actually are going to find a bedtime and you are going to, it. well, it's, it's called an earliest allowable bedtime. So it's like, well, you could be super tired, but we're not going to go to bed until this time. If you're not tired, you stay awake, but you can't go to bed until this time. Eventually that kind of melts away as you start to learn what works for you. And then it's like only go to bed when you're tired, right? Those two, I think are the the real keys because they're both connecting you with how your body feels. I'm much more concerned with quality sleep than I am with quantity. There's a huge range of how much sleep everyone needs, even within a certain age category, right? Like I might need eight and you might only need six and a half. And the only way to know that is to like try out some things and see what feels good to you, see how you function during the day, see how you feel emotionally, because the symptoms of insomnia are rarely feeling super tired during the day. They're more emotional. They're more frustration. They're yelling at your kids. They're having relationship problems, right? And so paying attention to that kind of stuff. And then the other one is understanding that sleep is or insomnia is actually a 24-hour problem. We need to work on it from the minute we wake up, not save it until bedtime, because then our brains go to work on all the stress that we didn't resolve during the day, and it's too late, right? That's not the time we should be working on sleeping. We should just be letting go and letting be. <laughs> and that's really challenging. I like how you brought that up. It's a 24 hour problem. Yes. It's like, we're trying to solve everything as you're going to sleep and you're stressed out. That's when you're hitting yeah. it hard as far as problem solving. <laughs> yeah. The time. Like yeah. imagine if that was the time of day that you were setting all your goals and like, <laughs> like it's just well, not going to work. Believe it or not. I tried that in the past. I would try to do journaling after I'd gotten up at five o'clock, seen 16 hours worth of patients. And then I would think I'm really going to sit there and do some deep thought work. And I realized yeah. Not the time. <laughs> Not going to happen. And you might look at it the next day and go, what was I thinking? <laughs> You're so tired. You're not even thinking well, right? Yeah. Well, these are such good tips. I think it's just a really great place. Even just simply your work on your wake up time, what you can control and then kind of working backward. I'm I'm feeling like it. I, I feel like I can breathe when I'm hearing what you're saying. Like it feels manageable kind of how to start approaching this. I just want to say thank you for coming on because you always offer such amazing insight. And I think a lot of people are going to want to see much more how they can work with you or um, what help they can get. Do you have any resources or where can people find out about you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, if you would like help, if you're someone that has like a racing mind at night, like we were just kind of talking about, right? You have you have some stress that you might not even have acknowledged and you know you don't work on it in the daytime. I have a tool called Calm Your Racing Mind at Night, <laughs> a little worksheet. Again, I don't want you doing it at bedtime, but like just after dinner or something like that is probably a good time or in the afternoon. You can get it at janetwhalen.com forward slash sleep. And, and then once you get that you're you'll be enrolled in my newsletter and there'll be all kinds of information, both on some of the stuff we've been talking about today, as well as how to enroll in my program, which is called permission to sleep. It's like a monthly membership. You can also get one-to-one -one coaching once you're inside there, that's extra. It's not included in the program, but if you're someone who like, doesn't like sharing in front of a group in a group setting, that might be appropriate for you. And we do mindfulness meditation every Saturday there too. So yeah. 
Thank you so much. We're going to make sure to link everything below. So everybody in the show notes, when you're listening, you can just swipe up or swipe right, left, however it is on the app you're listening to. And we'll have all the links directly to what you were talking about. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk to us. Thank you for inviting me. I love chatting with you, Matea.